0: Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface X. And Father, we obviously have spent a lot of time talking about relationships on this podcast, um, about how in our most recent episodes we were discussing how a relationship, when it's enhanced, not only fixes that relationship and makes it better, but it gives us skills that almost inevitably will bleed into other relationships with our lives. Meaning that if we're being a good brother, it almost inherently makes us better with our sister as well as with our brother. It just has a bleeding over effect. But that being said, there's also many things in life that aren't necessarily black or white or or right or wrong. Um, To do an example here, messiness with children. Um, you You can think that there's some people out there who live in a world that is probably described as functionally messy. They can walk into a room, things in disarray, and they're cool with it. And you have other people that if one little page is wrong on their desk, bent the wrong way, it has to be fixed immediately. Now, neither one of those is exactly wrong or right from a moral Catholic perspective, but it is a preference that if you, showing that if you put two of those people together and try to have them live together, you're gonna have tension and flare ups and, and problems just from a basic preference, and, you know, there's a billion of those different things out there. So I say that bringing into a a conversation that I've been wanting to have about when things are in disarray and we're trying to train people or, or train anything, really, ourselves, we often use positive and negative ways of teaching. You know, you encourage people when they do something right. You give recognition, but you also do some for, form of scolding and shaming when something's wrong. You know, for instance, you know, when a puppy d- makes a mess in the house, you let him know it wasn't okay. But when he does a trick, you do let him know it's okay. So the, the sense of and positive reinforcement. So I wanted to take that kind of thought and example and look at it from the way, at least it was articulated to me growing up, that the faith does it. And I'm not sure that this is a technical term, but it's something that I grew up with that my grandma would say a lot, which is the term of Catholic guilt. That being that you did something wrong and then there's kind of a guilt trip that you should know that that was wrong and use it to correct your ways. So essentially, I wanted to use this space here to talk about that notion, assuming that other people have heard it before and I'm not inventing it here on the spot. It wasn't a weird thing to my family. But the notion of of Catholic guilt and to a certain extent, shame, how we should feel it in our lives, when we should feel it and how it can actually help us become better in our relationships with each other. And then obviously also with with Christ.
1: Wow, it's a it's a great topic. And uh I would say that uh, one thing to think about is the difference between identity and behavior. And then we can think about the difference between how we uh, build up someone's identity at the same time that we might reinforce, adjust, or correct behavior. I'd say with uh, little children, for example, uh, different than dogs perhaps, That the importance of building up their identity as a beloved son or daughter, helping them to have the confidence in knowing through a lot of emotional reinforcement, attention, affection, presence, uh, affirmation, that they are an invaluable and irremovable part of the family, that they are cherished and good in themselves, uh, and... You know, having those kinds of foundations; those are really identity foundations. Then, when it comes to correcting behavior, that can be taken in the right in the right context. Being told that something is wrong, having boundaries, uh, which is obviously necessary. I mean, children can kill themselves or kill others uh, if they don't uh, respect things the the right way. So. Uh, staying out of the gun cabinet or staying out of the fireplace or staying away from the stove or whatever it is, maybe a matter of life and death. So clearly correcting behavior is necessary, but the difference between rejection and correction is something that I think uh, people can often miss. And so a rejection, a correction can feel like a rejection if there isn't a, a solid enough foundation in terms of identity. Rejection is about identity. Correction is about behavior. And so, the, again, the unconditional love that builds a firm identity and that gives a person a firm foundation on which they can handle corrected behavior and uh, can be instructed and, and moved to new directions in a way that's not just sort of... Uh, I don't know, imposing heavy burdens on them that they're trying to carry in order to be loved, but rather knowing that they're loved, they want to do the best they can do and they're being instructed on what the best is. And that's the kind of example, that's the model that we see in scripture. You know, before God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, He told them that they are precious to Him and He fought for them and He delivered them from oppression. And he promised to be with them. And even when they rebelled, he stayed with them. And all of that is identity reinforcing. He's making it clear to them that they are a precious nation, that he is committed to them. And then when he gives them the Ten Commandments, it's in the proper setting. Uh, So because you are precious to me, I want to help you live in the best possible way. In fact, it's in accord with the way that he created us. And so he gives the instruction manual then, because we matter to him, because we are valuable to him. And his correction is, again, so that we will be better, so that we will be oriented to the good, so that we will be happier. And that's you know clearly expressed. But uh, the unconditional love that he has also expressed through his mercy that he's never going to give up. And even when they stray and rebel, he'll find another way to draw them close to him. You know, this is the model of Scripture, which is, of course, universalized and personalized in Jesus Christ. He does that for us individually, and he does that for everyone. And through baptism, we are baptized into Christ, and we become beloved sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. That's our identity, and that's an identity that no one can take away from us. We didn't earn it for ourselves. It was a free gift. And God will not retract that identity. Actually, feeling that is even deeper than, uh, you know, just simply knowing that intellectually, and that feeling it so that it's in our bones, so that it makes a difference in our confidence, in our decisions, in our uh, the firmness of our hearts you know, to feel that it needs to generally be reinforced through that human affirmation, that human mediation. But but God bestows an identity on us that is, uh, well, that really makes us a member of the family of heaven. I mean, it's really far beyond what we ever could have conceived for ourselves and certainly far beyond anything we could have grasped. We never earned it and we can't earn it. So anyway, getting all those things kind of in the right order and uh, the right foundation is really critical. And then the other problem with uh, the other challenge, I should say, with uh, with correction. And I, you use the term shaming. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I feel good about ever shaming people. I think shame always goes back to identity. I think shame is 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 a feeling of uh, our our identity that we become worthless. Um, so. Anyway, we we could uh, we could talk about that a little bit more. I'd have to think about it a little bit more. But anyway, the the danger with with some of the correction is that our own stuff gets involved. You know, so um, a child um, makes a bad decision, um, maybe uh, maybe with a little bit of uh, mischievousness, or maybe totally accidentally, maybe some carelessness. Maybe the child has been told already but the end result is that the child you know, knocked a vase off and smashed it on the floor. And then that creates a reaction in the child's father. And that reaction is gonna probably contain a lot of stuff def- depending on the holiness of that father. Likely he cared about that vase and it was valuable and he's upset that it's broken. Perhaps he already told the child, don't go near there, and the child did it anyway. And so then he feels frustrated that he hasn't been listened to, and this could have been avoided. Furthermore, he may actually be afraid for the child's welfare because the child was crawling up perhaps on a couch and, you know, was was endangering his or her life in the process, and the, the father gets scared about that. And so there's a lot of stuff that has to do with the father in that and not to do with the child what is the best way to help that child never do that again? Well, in fact, the experience itself may have already been the best lesson. Uh, The child may have been terrified by the fact that this thing fell off and smashed. And in fact, the child may need to be comforted at that moment. And then the, the message is already clearly articulated, and the child will never do that again. But the father, being perhaps not as holy, not as virtuous, works out his own anger, frustration, fears by exploding and then trying to create object lessons and shaming and a lot of other things that do a lot of damage in the end. So I I just try to spell all that out to say like, you know, this is, it's complicated stuff to navigate some of these categories and some of this territory. And um, in, in my work, I find that a lot of times I don't need to say things to people. And uh, a lot of times I just need to love people and they, they already know. They already know the right answer. They're already trying harder. And then perhaps we can have a constructive conversation about how not to make this mistake in the future. And they want to have that conversation and perhaps I can help them with that. But it's a very different attitude than trying to really beat people. It's a kind of emotional lashing that uh that can be done and is often done in a lot of settings that is more like training dogs than raising and honoring and and reverencing people with with whom we work um now again there's you know there are some different categories to that and and there certainly is uh there can be a place for a stronger intervention you know we we talk about having a uh well what is it? An intervention I guess, mm-hmm. you know, when someone is really like in denial, when they're really not facing their problems, when they keep saying everything is okay. You know, sometimes there are some layers of defenses that need to be broken down. And that's of course a different situation. Mm-hmm. Children tend to be pretty undefended. Um, so I'm I'm using an extreme case there, but I think it's so important because some of that stuff is not well done uh, already and we <laughs> experience a lot of the wreckage of that. But uh, in a setting like yours, you know, that you might have uh, a friend who needs an intervention or perhaps a a business partner or another business that uh, you need to not tolerate the, the bad things that are happening, that, you know, there's levels of manipulation and even malice that need to be confronted. So again, that's a, you know, yet another category. So just trying to tease some of those things out. You can tell me where to go from here.
0: Sure, and it's. I think that you might have gathered the way I was just trying to frame the question in the first place is that, you know, that whole situation of identity and behavior, it. I completely bypassed it. You know, I didn't even think of the two of them, but listening to you articulate that, it really seems like you were essentially describing, you know, what unconditional love is. And I think where we can get into the problem of You know, just starting with the biblical example you gave of how God says, Israel, I'm going to take care of you. I love you unconditionally. That being said, I want you to do these things. So there could be a thought that's given, well, God's only going to love me if I follow these Ten Commandments. If I don't, I'm going to be banished and and kicked out. And in reality, that's not what's going on. It's identity as you said their starting point you're coming from a spot of unconditional love that being said i need you to do these things also it's a different level so top you know the foundation is unconditional love but we have to have you do things to be able to still you know functions correctly and i think that that is part of what my initial question and analogies miss and, and, and i appreciate you giving that there and then I like how you you address the, the, the situation of a father going through what's in his life. And unless I'm missing the, the lesson you were trying to teach there, that essentially was you have to have your own identity in line to know where you're at to be able to truly articulate to someone else. Because as you gave an example with, with a child there, it's really applicable to any relationship as most of this ends up being that we need to first have ourselves in line. And, you know, that, I think that's one of the great parts of of going to Mass, as, as we've discussed before, especially in some of the, the the quiet periods during the Mass where you can just sit down and think about where you are. Because inevitably, things pop into your head that are applicable to your life right now and answers that you might not even have thought of Become crystal clear that this is the direction you should go, and it, it's it's a, a process of, of stilling yourself and calming yourself. And again, I just use the mass as an example because uh, that that had come to me. So so now that we've separated everyone being as a pure person with a a dignity that is their their identity that should be their identity. There's a difference between correcting behavior and correcting someone as an individual. So I guess in, in looking at it from that way, shame is the wrong word. It, corrective action shame are not the same thing because shame would make you feel bad as an identity. And the goal is to avoid that. The goal is to correct actions. You know, at the end of the day, if you go up and strike out at you know, at home plate, that doesn't make your identity bad. That means you had bad technique with your swing or you've had poor pitch selection, something like that, not you as an individual. And I think that that's the part that, that I want to get into because as we look around in our lives, we know that there are things within ourselves and with others that just aren't right and that they need to be corrected. And the ones that are blatant sins are easy to identify. When We're going back to this baseball example of, of pitch selection. You know, it's easy to tell this was a sin. You're lying, you're bearing false witness, or, or you know, murder. Or something like that. The the, the sin ones are, are pretty obvious. What I want to talk about is essentially those those preference types things. Going back to two roommates that might have gotten forced to live together because that's how the college dorm system applied them. One being totally comfort in living a mess, and the other one can't. So the one doesn't understand why why are you cleaning everything all the time? And the other one's getting angry at him for never cleaning. So you can see how that's very natural. People get that way often, but how do we address situations like that, that from my perspective, that's a preference that's not necessarily going to be sinful one way or the other, but how we handle it could be. So I wanted to dive into that because I think the majority of, of the problems we have in a macro perspective, fall into this range, and something that's not necessarily sinful one way or the other, but how we address it could be.
1: Yeah, that's a. Uh, you you gave that example before, and that sort of uh, slipped behind me. So thanks for for bringing it up again. And some of those differences in preference, which are, which are not preference like. I like hamburgers, he likes tacos, you know, but I can eat anything. I mean, they're they're a little bit deeper than that in terms of uh you know some ways that we're wired, I I would say. And the uh some of the different personality indexes try to bring that stuff out. I think the the messy person is is a high in the P category in the Myers-Briggs. A lot of perceiving, not much sort of judging and putting things in category. It's like Categories. It's like one want, wants to get more and more input before, say, making a decision. This is good, this is bad, this goes in category A, B, C, or D. It's like, I want to get all the stuff, you know. So they, they tend to leave things uh, un, unfinished, unqualified, uncategorized. Whereas the J personality uh, making a, a judgment about this goes in this category, this goes in that category, tends to be more organized, putting things in its place sorting things out, doesn't like a bunch of mess, you know, so we talk about type A and type B personalities and all these kinds of things. And it's indicating that there, there are preferences there that go deeper than, you know, just my passing tastes. I mean, it's kind of like, I feel that stuff. I don't feel good in a room that's really messy, or I, I don't feel good in, in, uh, putting everything, trying to force everything to be in order and working through all the details. I mean, sometimes those things are even, you know, sort of painful and draining. And I like uh, the strength finders assessment that we've talked about before that's uh, run by Gallup now, talks about signature strengths as the kinds of things we do that give us energy, whereas uh, non-patterns are the kinds of things we do that drain us. And, uh, you know, some people love fixing things, some people hate it. And uh, so anyway, there are those kinds of things that that are a little bit deeper than just uh, preferences or tastes. And understanding other people is a big deal. So a lot of those things, you know, we talk about this in Strength Finders, that when something is in my signature set, it's so much a part of me, I I can't really imagine life without it. People that are really high responsibility, for example, it's like, how do people not get stuff done? How do people say they're going to do something and not show up? I mean, it's like incomprehensible. And then it becomes a a matter of irritation because we we make a judgment that they thought about it, decided not to show up, and then left us hanging. You know, when in fact, as we get to know somebody who's sort of Naturally low responsibility, if you will, it just didn't occur to them, you know, and and they haven't accommodated, they don't know how irritating it would be. And they haven't accommodated for people who are high responsibility by finding ways to remind themselves or setting up calendars or other systems to accommodate their weakness. They just haven't dealt with it. And so, a lot of times with those things, a conversation is important. And that conversation is two way. It's both people understanding each other. Maybe I don't agree with somebody who's really detail-oriented and has to get everything in their proper file folders, uh, but I realize how important that is for them, and I need to come up with some kind of solution that I'm not co- constantly causing them problems by not doing what they're asking. Or somebody that doesn't mind being messy. Uh, in a in a home situation, it's, uh, you know, One person may have to say, well, I'm not going to constantly harass the person to not be messy. I realize there's a law of diminishing returns and they're only going to move so far. The other person, whatever, stretches to try and be a little bit more more organized. But a lot of that falls out through the conversation. When when the conversation happens that's really respectful, you you could go back to our I think we talked about conversational intelligence in a previous podcast and one of those transformational conversations where we really seek to understand the other rather than just win them over to our perspective. And we really give a person the chance to explain what it's like for them to be you know, in, in a messy environment or in a clean environment and uh, how that affects them internally and give them chance to, to share that. And then also a chance to say, okay, well, what are some reasonable ways. I'm never going to be as organized as you are, but could I take some steps in that direction? Maybe you could help me with that. And I think that's how we start to harmonize with each other when we have those those crucial conversations, to express our discontent, uh, but also to listen and to work forward together towards some some solutions, some resolutions. And as we move forward, you know, we, we see how
0: how you give that example of of we make a judgment because we and inherently what you're saying in there is, it's very common for us to assume everyone's like us, and right. and I think that that is, in a sense, a mystery of, of of Jesus in the sense that he is able to master the fact that he can relate to so many people because he was truly human but he also had this element to him where he doesn't condemn people who are not exactly like his personality. And in fact, I remember reading something when I was in high school that the way the scriptures articulate Christ is that he doesn't fit into these personality types um, in the sense that that his strengths would have been dominant on upon many, many different types of categories. You can't pigeon him into one. So I guess what ultimately you're calling from that is the same example that you were talking about with the father in the sense that, yes, we have our own baggage we're bringing into us, and yes, not everyone's like us. We need to to realize that that doesn't make them a bad person because they didn't show up. Yes, that's a corrective action that we need to fix and figure out the behavior of it, but it doesn't make the other person a bad person. And I think that that difference needs to be concretely put. And in an era where we live off sound bites, I think that that line is getting blurred. And I think the easiest example is me trying to articulate the question that I've been thinking about presenting this podcast for a while. I wasn't able to do it. So I I certainly thank you for using the space in today's episode to, Help clarify that because I think that us separating actions and identities is huge, and us recognizing that there is no one perfect way to have a personality is huge. You know, if you, if you look at it, there's so many different options that you could be on a personal scale. There's no way to have one correct one because there's no one role in terms of position that is if it was the only position on the planet that it would work. It, it doesn't work like that. You know, as, as we discussed very many times, a, f- a family needs both genders, and those are going to be different. So just from a pure starting point, we recognize that difference is important and necessary. So do not attack that, which is just a preference difference to you. If it's not inherently sin, look at yourself and recognize that they're different than you and that's okay that they're a different person than you and that their identity should be what we celebrated and the joy that will come from that so i thank you for for doing today's episode father we'll be with everyone again here next week the tuesday prior to ash wednesday and we will see you then